I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Hello, I'm Mitchell Kaplan, and I'm very excited to be recording my podcast, The Literary Life from the Miami Book Fair. This is our 35th anniversary, and we're going to have a very special time together as we'll be talking to some of the most interesting, important, and timely authors writing today. Writers like Tina Brown, Tiare Jones, Doris Kearns Goodwin, and Pete Souza. So join me for this special edition of The Literary Life, recorded at this year's Miami Book Fair. Welcome to The Literary Life. Uh, this is Mitchell Kaplan, and we are here with Oren Tyker, the executive director of the American Booksellers Association. And we're here in Miami celebrating the 35th Miami Book Fair. Pretty good, Oren, huh? That's pretty good. 35 years, Mitchell, and counting. 35 and more? <laughs> I hope so. Well, as I said in one of the events the other day, I said, yeah, I hope there will be another 35 years. I'm going to make sure that there is, even if we have to celebrate it underwater uh, with snorkels and flippers and all of that sort of thing. But yeah, no, this has been a remarkable thing, uh, being able to start this thing in my mind. You've seen it over the years. I it think. has, and it, it has become, as you know, probably one of the most remarkable public book events in America. And, you know, everywhere I go, and the great news about my job is I get to travel all over the country, people talk about the Miami Book Fair and the model that you've helped create here, which, you know, dozens and dozens of cities have tried to follow and emulate to try, well, only if we could do a little bit what they do in Miami. <laughs> it has <laughs> been exported to a number of other cities, it and has. we're thrilled about that. So you talk about your job. What is your job? Uh, well, I uh, work for the American Booksellers Association now for almost 30 years. Uh, and, um, you know, we are the National Trade Association representing independent bookshops all across the United States. We currently have about 1,850 member companies that do business in about 2,400 locations. Um, and contrary to what is often the kind of public uh, urban legend about indie bookstores, we're actually doing okay. 
Um, you know, there was a long time, uh, there was a view that uh, Goliath was beating David and the little guy would just lose out in a world in which the large corporate competitors, both corporate bookstores, Amazon, mass merchandisers, you know, why would anybody want to go to an independent bookshop and buy a book? We could buy it everywhere else, let alone on the internet, let alone read it on your device. The good news has been that uh, that's not the case. Independent bookstores have, over the last seven or eight years, had somewhat of a resurgence. Our numbers have grown because booksellers are able to continue to do what they always did, and that is put the right book in the customer's hand, and consumers clearly value that. So, you know, like the Miami Book Fair, you know, it's not like uh, there aren't challenges about growing and continuing to succeed, uh, but the good news is that um, our channel is in better shape today than it had been some years ago, so we have reason to be optimistic about the future. We really do, and a lot of it is because of the American Bookseller Association and the fact that we have a trade association that is able to help the small business. Not every small business has such a functional, um, a powerful trade association that has well, the resources you. to be able to well, do it. Well, you know, I thank you. I mean, it, it is true that uh, ABA is unusual as, as national trade associations go. It's also unusual because of who our members are. Booksellers are a unique class <laughs> <Yes>. of, uh, <laughs> of business we people. We know that. Um, you know, a lot of you folks came into this business not because you wanted to be business people, but because it was you had this connection with the product that you're selling. The sense of community amongst indie booksellers across America is extraordinary. You know, one of the cool things as I said about my job is I got, you know, I got a friend in every city in America and, and booksellers uh, have created certainly in their communities a sense of community, but more broadly, they've created the sense of community amongst themselves. Well, and you know, the, you know, a lot of us who are booksellers, we all, and, and you, I'm sure to a very large extent, even in the job that you're doing, we've all taken the road less traveled in one way or another. And in many ways, uh, you know, we have forged our own, um, we forged, we, we've kind of created our own environments. And in doing that, uh, we might have taken a little less than maybe what we could have earned doing something else. So I, in my case, I left law school, who knows, you know, I'd probably be one of these miserable lawyers doing something somewhere. I know other people who've been business people who've given that up. And I, like you, feel like part I feel like the luckiest guy around because we're part of this community of thinking, activated, activist people who want to do something for their communities. And we've been like the canary in the coal mine to a large extent, fighting the good fights over the last 30 years, 35 years. And there, and there years. have been some really important things that have happened. And independent booksellers have been at the forefront of the localism movement in America about reminding consumers about what it is about their communities that ought to remain different and unique. And that has revolutionized uh, this country from top to bottom in the way people shop, the way people connect to their community, their sense of place. And in town, city and city after another, the independent bookseller has more often than not been the been been the, the glue, catalyst. the catalyst that has helped make 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 that happen. Well, 
we know it's happened when someone like American Express could, gets behind something and says something like Small Business Saturday. When they begin to see the value of, of local, we know that it has reached a certain tipping point. Yeah, and Small Business Saturday, the, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, has for, has for a lot of our members become as important a day in the annual calendar as any. And it's in part, um, you know, this reaction to Black Friday and all what all the our big corporate competitors are doing. Um, but it is a perfect reflection of how consumers really do want to connect with their main street, with the shops that they go into the store and the shopkeeper knows who they are and they can respond to uh, what it is. And it's become huge. Um, and we're delighted that American Express is support. We have um, literally um, uh, tens of thousands of our fellow indie businesses taking part uh, in Small Business Saturday across the country. It also helps create the community in the sense community amongst small business to small business. Uh, Absolutely. Often those customers who will shop in the independent bike shop, the independent toy store, you know, they're likely to also want to uh, shop in an independent bookshop. Most definitely. And, and you know, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to pierce the veil a little bit. Orrin and I have known each other very, very well for over 30 years, and we're good friends. And I spent a lot of years working with the American Bookseller Association on the board, other capacities. And I can honestly say that with all the organizations that I've ever been involved with, um, the American Booksellers Association has been one of the most rewarding experiences for me Personally, because I have watched an organization support something that is so essential to culture in this country. But not only that, and, and this will get a little bit into your background, but the other thing that we've done, which is something that a lot of people don't realize, is we've advocated. We've advocated for First Amendment uh, concerns. We've advocated for antitrust laws. We've advocated up and down the line for a lot of things that have been very meaningful not only to small businesses, but also to individuals. And I know that you first joined the ABA uh, with that advocacy in mind. What was your first Well, position? when I first came to ABA back a long time ago, uh, almost 30 years ago, um, there was a lot of pressure on First Amendment rights and on access to constitutionally protected material. Uh, way back in the Reagan administration, the Reagan Justice Department uh, was attempting to suggest that certain kinds of more controversial First Amendment material ought not to be available to consumers. There was lots of pressure in the arts community about censoring uh, works of art. And the ABA um, felt you know, at the core of who we are as booksellers, that ensuring that we could put uh, that constitutionally protected book in the hands of a customer, if that customer wanted to buy that book, that was at the bedrock of who we were and, and what we did. So back then, ABA created its own First Amendment foundation that we called the American Booksellers Foundation and you for were the Free director Expression. Of that. And I was the original director of that. And the nice, you know, good news is now, 30 years later, APFI still very much, that's what we call it, uh, still very much exists, representing the interests of uh, indie bookstores on First Amendment issues. 
there have been no shortage of challenges over all of these uh, I years. I remember how we advocated, you know, when the uh, Patriot Act happened, for instance. Right. That was a huge threat that we had. Absolutely. The efforts for um, by the government to collect information about what consumers were reading in an effort uh, that we believe certainly was an invasion of people's privacy. What you read really is your business. It's not the government's business to and, know. And when you think about the players who were the players back then in it, there was one very significant guy that everyone's going to know about now, but not too many people knew him then, and that's Bernie Sanders, that's right? That's correct, yeah. Well, Senator Sanders then, um, originally as a member of Congress from Vermont, uh, was actually very, very helpful to a, a bookshop in Hardwick, Vermont, who reached out to him at the time in which the original Patriot Act was being enacted to raise those concerns about the section of the Patriot Act that included uh, the FBI ability to go to bookstores, to go to libraries and subpoena that information about customer purchase history. Um, Senator Sanders was a leader back then in helping to restrict some of the overreaching parts of the Patriot Act and certainly has continued uh, to be a real advocate uh, for free speech and to ensure uh, the right of privacy of our customers has continued. Yeah, people don't realize that it goes it goes way, way back. I mean, it goes back to the 30s. It goes back. But at least in my lifetime as a bookseller, I remember what happened with Kramer Books in, in Washington, D.C. when with Clinton and Lewinsky, and they were trying to get the reading, uh, the Vox, I think it was at that point. Well, the, the, the history of, and unfortunately this has happened um, uh by varying justice departments, regardless of who's in charge, this this tendency to want to interfere um, with the access to uh, protected material, interfere with the pri interfere with the privacy rights of consumers, uh, unfortunately, has uh, been a been a continues to be something. And today, you know, we continue to grapple uh, with First Amendment challenges. Uh, we work closely with our colleagues at the American Library Association every September in observing what we call Banned Books Week to remind consumers about the threats and challenges to books. And there are no fewer challenges today than there were 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I do think that in a world in which um, people's uh, where often political correctness uh, becomes part of the political discussion, uh, there is a lot less tolerance about different points of view. And we always be have believed that one of the really indispensable roles that a bookstore plays in its community is to be that place where that different points space. of view, that safe space where different points of view are safe. We may not agree with every book that, certainly you don't agree with every book that is on the shelf of books and books, but that uh, making sure that that array of ideas is available uh, to your customers is at the heart uh, of what it is that we do, and I think probably one of the really indispensable roles that indie bookshops play. Completely, and and uh, we should talk about a a, a former um, um, colleague of ours, Chris Fiden, who wrote a really wonderful book on uh, on censorship. Oh, well, Chris was you know I was Chris came to work you know when I when I when my career at ABA changed a little bit and Chris then came and he uh, did run our APFI, our First Amendment Foundation for for many many years has become probably one of the country's 
leading experts on the history of the First Amendment and the various challenges that it has gone through over time. Um, and uh, uh, Chris now is the executive director of the National Coalition Against Censorship. So he's continued his career as an anti-censorship advocate. Um, he's been a good friend uh, to booksellers and certainly a good friend of the First oh, Amendment. I'll never forget the time when the FBI came looking for the records of a particular senator from New Jersey, actually, because they knew that he had bought books in our bookshop. And all I had to do was call up Chris immediately. And I think that subpoena got quashed pretty pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, talk, a lot of customers say to me, um, and this is where censorship gets to be an interesting issue. They say to me, oh, that's censorship if you don't carry that book. People don't completely understand the idea between selection and censorship. Explain that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, look, uh, you know, you know, the good news about the United States these days is we're publishing, what, a half a million new titles a year. Uh, the notion that any bookstore, large or small, is going to be able to put every new book on their shelf uh, is just not practical given the, the logic and the size of stores. So booksellers, part of what it is they do is engage in selection by picking titles that they're going to put on their shelves that are going to re reflect what their best judgment is as to what is going to be of interest to, to, to their customers. Uh, that's a piece of the business and a logical, obvious part of the business. I think where it differs from censorship is when you get interfere with people's access to, to that. And when the government says, well, you know, we don't want you to read this or we don't want you to see that that publication or that television or through show. their actions, a chilling effect. Gets Absolutely. Put on. So so I think there, there, the distinction between censorship and selection is 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 clear. Um, stores obviously engage in selection every day. That's, in fact, part of what they're bringing to their community that that's their knowledge. You know, you know. I, I often say in in our world, you know, the value added that bookshops and booksellers bring to this conversation is that knowledge and passion they have about the books. You go into books and books. The likelihood is uh, uh, that that bookseller who you're going to talk to on the floor of that store, let alone in thousands of other stores across the country, they've read that book. Or they know somebody in that store who's read that book. Uh, that knowledge and passion is what makes it different. You know, you don't get a better ending if you read it from us, uh, buy it from us. Uh, the book, by its very definition— Although you do feel better. You feel a lot better. <laughs> the book is the same, but it's that experience right. and that knowledge. I, I, I remember some years ago, I was um, I spoke—we uh, work closely with a lot of our colleagues represent other independent businesses. And I was a guest speaker at the National Hardware Dealers Association. When the guy introduced me, I, I was kind of not sure where he was going. He said, well, you know, this guy, you know, he represents bookstores, but, you know, they don't sell books. I don't know what he was saying. Well, it's just like, you know what? We don't sell nails. What we sell is information about nails. And those guys sell information about books. Very smart. Uh, and, and in fact, that's what you do. That's exactly um, right. And it is that knowledge and that passion that you have that differentiates you in the marketplace and hopefully is part of the reason that stores are hanging in. You know, when I sit here looking at you, I have these incredible sort of feelings of flashback in terms of what we've been through as an industry over the last 30, 35 years and the threats to us. I mean, I remember the initial threat being 
the superstore, <laughs> those gigantic stores. Then you had the discounters coming in. Then you had uh, you have obviously you had the uh, the internet and and what was happening up there and the ebook and all of that. And I can't tell you how many times, particularly after You Got Mail came out, how many people would say, you're still around? How is that possible? You're still around. And I just think that there is a kind of resilience in terms of what it is that we're doing married to the book. Because we're not only giving information about books, but we're also creating a common space and public spaces are increasingly diminishing and people are increasingly being in their own little silos at home or on Twitter or wherever they are. But when you come to a bookstore, you have the opportunity of meeting people that just come in for the very same reason you do and you never know who you're going to meet. The the resiliency of indie bookstores is pretty remarkable. There's a professor at Harvard uh, Business School who spent the last several years studying our market. I think he's probably chatted with you too, Professor Raffaelli. And one of the things that he that he has pointed out is that um, uh, that sense of, uh, if you look at all of those tsunamis that you alluded to, you know, the, the, the superstores, uh, the mass merchandisers, the, you know, the bookstore in every mall in America, the internet, ebooks, that there wasn't, you know, at every point, there was a presumption, well, we were done. Uh, but somehow, not only are we not done, we're here. And one of the other really interesting things that certainly you and I have seen over uh, these many years that is is new these days is that we've got a whole new generation of younger people coming into this business. You know, they, they, it, there was a time uh, where, you know, uh, they all were us. Uh, no, 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 I go and I I feel like I'm the old – I used to be the youngest one in the room. I feel like I'm the oldest one in the room. Yeah, and, and I, I tell you, at our recent Kids Institute, Children's Institute in New Orleans last, last June, you could – there was a palpable passing of the torch to a younger generation of booksellers that was really thrilling because, you know, look – the fact is, for a period of time, as you recall, uh, the predominant number of, of people in this business were all of the well, same we age. We talked about this earlier. The, the, the current president of the American Booksellers Association, Robert Sindelar, started as a 19, 20-year-old working at Books and Books before he moved to Seattle. And now he's running a major two, three-store operation there, and he's the president of the association. And he's Probably not quite forty yet, or just hitting forties. Yeah, but he. Yeah. But but that is that is that sea change you're talking about, and not only that, I also see it in terms of writers, and I see it in terms of readers. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. You're listening to the Literary Life. Okay, we're back on The Literary Life. My guest is Oren Tyker, the executive director of the American Booksellers Association. And why don't we talk just just a little bit, 
and it's such an interesting history, the history of the American Bookseller Association, it goes way back, doesn't we're, it? I, always, I can easily remember this, that we are 118 years old because we were founded in 1900. I don't do wow. that math quickly in my head. But uh, yes, we've been around for 118 years. Um, uh, I think a little different uh, today than we were back in um, 1900. Um, and as you said earlier, you know, one of the things that's happened in our business, it has evolved and it has changed um, considerably over the years. Um, and there have been ups and downs. There have been good years and good periods and years of very, very strong competition from somebody or other that may seem to have put us out of, uh, um, you know, would have damaged or made made our long-term viability less likely. Um the, the, but ABA, you know, certainly in modern history, um, ha, has existed really for one reason, and that is, as a trade association, our, our, we're about how do we help our member stores operate more successful and profitable businesses. You know, it is a tough being an independent business person in today's oh. world. The competition is fierce. The, the economies of scale that, that you deal with every day – and if you're in a large city, the rental markets are going haywire right now. Well, the the cost of real estate, payroll, payroll costs, and you know there are markets across the country where a lot of indie booksellers are certainly supportive of increases in minimum wage, but you know that that those wages are an important piece of the P and L of any bookshop. What a lot of people don't realize is that that we are competing in the retail landscape with the same kinds with, with companies that are actually manufacturing what they sell. So the, so the margins, what we call margins, what it costs us to buy something and then sell it is much, much higher than if you're a gap and you're selling jeans that you're selling for X amount of dollars, but you've made them yourself. So we're actually a reseller of books. And so what we're selling, as you mentioned before, the value that we bring is the knowledge that we have because of the hundreds of thousands of books that are published every year of being able to give the customer uh, a kind of guide to what he or she might want to be yeah, reading. And, and the economics of a bookshop are difficult. Yeah. Uh, I don't need to tell you that. Uh, the the um, When you are paying uh what our cost of goods, our, our cost to put those books on the shelf, then when you add our rent, our occupancy cost, you add our payroll cost, and then you know our heat and our insurance and all the kind of things that don't that the customer is going to think a lot about. What's left, you know, could be really um, very much 2%. at the margins, two percent. <laughs> the good news is, is that as time has gone on, we're increasingly seeing that there are more profitable ways to do this. But it is a fiercely difficult business, and and small business, not just bookstores, but small, business, small business generally, you know, are faced with all kinds of competitive um, disadvantage. Our business has got even this further acute problem. Because we have the price written right on that book. You know, when you go <laughs> into the supermarket and buy a quart of milk, and that quart of milk may cost a dime more a week later or 15 cents more, you, the customer doesn't really know that. I mean, maybe they know that, but they don't experience it. I don't think it. we can get away with uh, the book says twenty six ninety five. crossing that off and put $30. We dollars. We, 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 we obviously can Even though our rent went up 20%. Well, that, and that, so that we've got even a more complicated equation right. because our 
publisher colleagues, in fact, then set that price by printing it on the product that we're selling. So in fact, what that does is create the kind of maximum uh, for what it is you can sell that book for. And you know, it, it is a kind of bizarre business formula for the things uh, that have the greatest demand our competitors charge less and less for. You know, in any other business, the things that have the greatest reverse. demand, you charge more for. Well, that's why, I mean, the trend among bookstores, uh, many of them, that's why when you when you walk into a bookstore, you see other items. You see T-shirts. You see uh, uh, paper goods. You see notebooks. In my case, you might go to a restaurant or, you know, you see other things that have higher margins to help you out. And the reason why I brought up The Gap is because we are competing with people like The Gap for the same retail space on the high street. Now, there are some very innovative things happening around. The city of uh, San Francisco has a heritage uh, business law where they give tax advantages to those businesses. There's a, Stacey Mitchell does some marvelous uh, advocacy on behalf of uh, Main Street. So a lot of cities, there's a couple of county commissioners here in Dade County who are talking about trying to do some uh, some more thoughtful kinds of things in order that streets don't become homogenous to one another. Yeah. And the, the, the effort to um, uh, rebuild main streets across the country um, is real. And uh, the commitment in, in, in thousands of places, literally thousands of places, to invest in that community um, and in that shopping district to try, as we said earlier, to make it a little different and not make it just like the same mall uh, that exists out in the suburbs in the same place, repeated cookie cutter store. I mean, that's the strength of indie bookshops is that everyone is different uh, from from another. They're not well, all something the same. Funny, what's really funny is that somebody came back from one of those conferences in Las Vegas where they, you know, the big... The big retail folks are out there talking about retail stuff. And the guy came back. He said, Mitchell, I have to tell you, the buzzword out there, you're not, you're not going to believe this. And you probably <laughs> never heard of this. But the buzzword was experiential. Newsflash. Newsflash, right? Because the malls are dying and they're looking to get people in because the Internet is affecting everybody. And when I say experiential, I mean a bookstore like ours and I'm not alone Every bookstore does it. We do three to 400 events a year in our bookstore. And that happens in bookstores all over the place. So experience is what we're all about. And, and the product mix, as you said, you know, is, um, has changed. Um, and stores are selling things other than books. But our, we do an annual benchmark study of our bookstore operations. And if you look at the most profitable indie bookshops in America, they're still doing about 80% of their total sales in books. Now, often, and this may be a little inside baseball, that 20% helps allow them to still be doing 80% um, in books. So we think that um, a store that is still doing uh, four out of five dollars is in books. That's still a bookshop. Oh, of course. And, no, I'm and, not. And, and I'm, that, I wasn't and, yeah. diminishing no, that as a bookstore. Some but. people kind of say, "Well, the only way bookstores are surviving is because they're, you know, they're selling coffee or they're selling no, socks." No, no, uh, no. I think the 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 fact is those stores 
sell coffee and sell socks um, because it helps them allow them to continue to, to sell, sell books. I can't seem to sell socks in Florida. Though, I don't know why reason. that is. I think it's just people <laughs> don't wear socks the same way. But but you're right. I mean, if we were in a bookstore, we would, you know, if we were just a regular, people would think of us as just another gift shop. I mean, we're a bookstore first. I mean, you know, when our name is Books and Books, we have to be a bookstore. Um, the the other thing is, wh- what is your feeling from going around and talking to other booksellers? What's the state of reading right now? What is your sense of it? Oh, I, you know, I, I think that um, all the rumors that nobody was reading anymore are, are so exaggerated. Um, you know, I, I, I've been to, you know, the, as I said, the, the wonderful thing about it, I've probably visited... Um, Hundreds, if not thousands, of bookshops. Been to uh, more author events than I, I could, I could, I could account. And in, it is always astonishing uh, the number of people who come and show up, the number of people browsing in a bookstore on a Tuesday afternoon when you would think, well, why, you know, why aren't they at work? Why aren't they doing something else? Um, so I, I have a lot of confidence. Uh, and sense in the future. It is, you know, earlier today we had the opportunity to hear Jason Reynolds speaking yeah, to, and, 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 and Jason, speak. of course, is just extraordinary, but listening to how he was connecting with to those, those kids. kids in that audience. Uh, they will never forget that day. I, they will never forget that day. And I guarantee you that if you had a way of five years from now going back and polling those kids sitting in that room, how many of them will still be readers? Yeah. Uh, uh, I think it would be a disproportional number. So, look, I, I don't want to minimize the challenges that the book business has. You know, we're all walking around with these devices in our pocket that have access to every other conceivable form of entertainment under the sun and uh, you know, instantly at our fingertips. So the competition um, for our leisure time you know, is real, uh, and it would be naive not to understand that. But I, 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 have, a, um, I have a real sense of uh, readership in America continues to be strong. You go to, um, you know, there are new stores opening in communities that, you know, perhaps uh, some years ago would have been unlikely for a bookshop to be in that community. Uh, Well, and those businesses are making it. So, I mean, they're obviously connecting uh, to um, a bunch of readers and hopefully future readers. So, I think that there is reason to be optimistic. I don't want to minimize the no, challenges never, because I, the challenges you live them every day. <laughs> I do. Uh, it's the work. Of, it's the work of the ABA to, to to deal with those challenges. But we always have this conflicting thing just in culture right now. With you're talking about the devices. You're talking about our, we were talking about email and the speeded up nature of our life. But then on the other hand, you have this gigantic mindfulness movement, and there's nothing more mindful than sitting down with a hardcover or paperback book and spending two, three hours in a state of, of intellectual reverie going through this book in some way and connecting with yourself and ideas in a completely cerebral way. So you don't need an app to do that. Right. All and you I, need and to I, do is buy a book. Right. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that where um, our business is different. Um, you know, there was a lot of nervousness in the book business five, six years ago that the business would all move to digital, would move just to people reading books on their device. What you've just outlined is that it is a fundamentally different experience. Uh, 
in holding that book in your hand uh, and reading um, that book, um, that is different from looking at it on a screen or listening to it. So, you know, that that's the other reason that I think there is reason that one can be um, optimistic uh, about the future. You know, there are a lot of pessimists out there, a lot of people predicting our demise. But, you know, I often say that in all the years I've done this, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said we wouldn't be here, I'd be a pretty rich guy today. Lastly, talk about a couple of the initiatives that people will find in bookstores that, that are coming from the ABA. ABA initiatives, Indies First, and all the other One, one of the things we're really thrilled about, as you, we've talked about, is this uh, the Saturday, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, we uh, across the country um, are um, participating in Small Business Saturday, uh, something we call Indies First. And Jason Alexander, uh, through cooperation of American Express and Simon and Schuster, we're going to uh, bookstores are going to be giving away. 20,000 copies of uh, Ghost, his one of his earlier books, uh, to 20,000 kids. And there are 20,000 kids are going to, who, as a result of this initiative, are going to have a book. And it started here. And it started right here at the Miami Book Fair. Um, Jason did uh, schools here in Miami. He's going to, and that's going to now uh, branch out across the country. So we're really thrilled about that. One of the other things that we are very um committed to continue to do. Uh, we have a program that uh, my colleague Joy is involved in running that we call Indies Introduced to be able to bring first-time authors. New voices. New voices, first-time authors with their first book. Because, you know, uh, you know we all love uh, a whole lot of authors who've been around and can't wait often till their next book comes. Uh, but it is those new voices that are that are that are so indispensable to keeping this cycle going. So we're um, uh, really committed to trying to continue to figure out how we can identify those new authors and put those books. And then in there's hands. always the Indie Next selections, which uh, booksellers from around the country choose. Ten books that are uh, highlighted by independent booksellers. And we also have the IndieBound bestseller list. That's the bestseller list we use. It's our kind of bestsellers is the way I yeah, use it. And in like any, any given it. week, you look at our list. Um, you know, there are obviously going to be titles that appear on some of the national lists too. But our list is always unique because the kind of books that – you love, that you've read, that may be a little bit off the radar screen, that your booksellers are hand-selling to their customers. Uh, there, There is, uh, you know, in the old days in our business, it always anecdotal. People say, oh, indie booksellers, they love this book. We're hand-selling it to our customers. Today, we can numbers. actually can show week after week uh, how that happens. Well, not that, but there are books that start in the indie market, even commercial books like Dan Brown's uh, uh, Dan Brown's first book, I remember, not his first, but the one that, The Da Vinci Code, that had a very small first printing. Hunger Games had a very small first well, printing. All the Light. All the Light. Yeah, all of these books started in independent bookstores. And the basic, basic thing that I hope people out there understand is that we don't have the kind of money in our industry to be able to advertise like during the Super Bowl or whatever. However, it does operate book by book by book. It's all about word of mouth. And it starts with the publish the, the book itself, but then it starts with the bookseller. And then the bookseller hands it off to somebody, they read it, and then before you know it, 
it builds some sort of momentum. Not every book works, not every book should work, but we, I think we're in an extremely, extremely rich period right now in literature with a lot of wonderful things that are being, uh, being, being written. And Oren, I just personally want to take this opportunity on air, in public, to thank you and your entire staff and every bookseller that's ever been a part of ABA for all the amazing work. Because I don't think I'd still be in business but for the American Bookseller Association. That's very, that, that, that's very kind of you. I, I, I say the least appreciate it. We are um, blessed with an uh, extraordinary uh, task, um, but the success that we feel uh, in your success and that of your colleagues in this growth and resurgence of independent bookselling, to say the least, is uh, makes it all worthwhile. So uh, we thank you for what you do, and uh, we'll look forward to the next 35 years. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do this again <laughs> soon, I hope. Okay. Nice, nice to have you on The Literary Life. Thank you. Oren Tyker, the Executive Director of the American Booksellers Association. I hope you like what you heard and that you'll please share your review on Apple Podcasts and also give me your feedback at Books and Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to my weekly conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Revolver.com. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. Thanks for joining The Literary Life.